Again, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the short book of Jude, and uh, we will read a passage there in just a moment. Charles Spurgeon, I've spoken of him often. He was a profound and, and a powerful preacher of God's Word. Charles Spurgeon once described an old painting uh, where the artist depicted what looked from a distance like a, a holy friar, a minister, a holy man with a book in front of him with his hands crossed in devotion and appearing very saintly. But when you came close to the imposter, you discovered that his clasped hands were in fact squeezing a lemon instead of holding a book. And instead of that book, there was a bowl into which he was squeezing the lemon juice. (laughs) Appearances aren't always what they seem. You've seen them before, those pictures that you see one way and then someone says, don't you see this other thing? And then you see it and you can't stop seeing it, right? (coughs) Appearances aren't always what they seem. Spurgeon essentially was saying about this that we, we wish to have someone give us the answer we want to hear. And we want to hear it so badly, we'll believe anyone who will tell us what we want to hear. I hope what you want to hear is God's word, because that's what I want you to hear, and I think that's what God wants you to hear. And and I want to be careful as a preacher and teacher and pastor that I'm not giving you necessarily what you want to hear, unless that's really God's word. Then you're going to get what you want to hear. But if you want to hear something else, you're not going to hear what you want to hear from me. I trust the Lord helps me in that for the rest of my life to to be a, a man of the word. I hope you're a people of one book, the Bible. Spurgeon went on to say, if people would remember the last great day, then they would abhor hypocrisy. They would abhor hypocrisy. False teachers are like the painting that Spurgeon described. They are not what they appear to be. They're deceptive. They're hypocritical. And apparently false teachers don't believe they will face judgment, which makes sense since we've been seeing here the warnings from Jude that the basis of God's judgment on false teachers and all people who follow them is their unbelief. That's the foundation of their departure from the truth, their unbelief. So take your Bible and let's look together at verses 14 through 19 as we continue our study here in this short book of Jude. And we're going to find here a few warning signs that Jude sets out in this passage. It's important to pay attention when you see a warning sign and Jude gives us several here. We'll see the destiny of false teachers, a description of false teachers, and the division caused by false teachers. So follow along as I read, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, beginning in verse 14. It was also about these, speaking of false teachers, about these, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed 
in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And verse 17 says, But you must remember, beloved... That's the church. He's speaking to the church. You must remember, beloved, beloved by God, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Sounds like Judas ripping things from today's headlines. But there's nothing new under the sun, is there? We begin with a warning sign that Jude gives us of the destiny of false teachers. We must pay attention, and the severity of departing from the truth is seen in the destiny of of false teachers. Jude warns about the destiny of false teachers by recounting the prophecy of Enoch in verses 14 and 15. Now the quote makes clear that judgment, and we've seen this before, we've heard this earlier in earlier verses, judgment is coming for these false teachers. Jude is writing about false teachers here and and he calls them ungodly men. Judgment is coming for all who who disbelieve and refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In in contrast, Genesis makes clear that Enoch was a godly man. When you find Enoch in the Old Testament, you find out that that, uh, it says about him that he walked with God. Wouldn't that be great to have that said about us? That we walked with God. We were close to the Lord. But note here that what you see in quotes in verses 14 and 15 is from the book of Enoch. Uh, You don't have that book in your Bible, I don't think. (laughs) We don't have that in our Bibles. The reason for that is that the book of Enoch is considered by Bible scholars to be an apocryphal book, which means that its authenticity is in question. We don't believe that it's inspired by God. And so it is not included in the 66 books that make up the Bible. But don't let that concern you. Um, uh, Here's why. About why why would Jude quote this if it's not inspired by God? I appreciate it. It's helpful to get the perspective of of other Bible scholars. Warren Wiersbe writes this about this little fact, this little side note that could turn into a rabbit trail if we're not careful. But he says this, The fact that Jude quoted from this non-biblical book does not mean the book is inspired and trustworthy any more than Paul's quotations from the Greek poets put God's seal of approval in everything they wrote. The Spirit of God led Jude to use this quotation and make it a part of the inspired scriptures. So there you have it. I think that's helpful. So what's quoted here for us in Enoch's foretelling, it's, it's Enoch's foretelling of the destiny of these godless men, which is one of judgment. Don't miss the point. There, there is judgment, God's just and holy and righteous judgment that awaits all who 
are false teachers who lead people away from the truth. And sadly, that same judgment falls on those who follow them in unbelief. There's a whole lot of ungodliness going on in this passage. Did you notice, notice that? The ungodly, the ungodly, the ungodly. It's just repeated again and again. It's, it's important. Don't be the ungodly. There's a whole lot of ungodliness seen in these verses that we just read, but the point we must not miss is the fact that all the ungodly will be judged. This ought to sober us up about where our neighbors are, where our coworkers are, where our family members are, where are they with Christ? Do they know the Lord as their personal Savior? I might wonder if... If you were not paying attention, if you look around you and you're not actually troubled by the condition of the world that we live in today, with the almost overwhelming ungodliness that surrounds us, do you ever get discouraged when you see that? Do you ever get discouraged because it seems like the ungodly, the wicked seem to prosper? It's troubling, isn't it? If so, if you're troubled by that, be reminded that you need the Word of God to instruct you and guard your heart from being led astray. You need the Word of God to instruct you in the truth. No one will escape God's just judgment. And as I have said before, we don't say that with joy we, we grieve over that. We, we ought to grieve over that. We ought not throw that in someone's face as if you're going to go to hell and you're going to be judged by God. We, we ought to be coming alongside people to help them understand the severity of the seriousness of God's judgment that's coming, loving them enough to tell them the good news along with the bad news. Some people need to be told about the bad news because they think there's only good news. No one will escape God's just judgment. Listen to the words of Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. We dare not fail to tell people that judgment is coming. And yes, that will offend some people. God's word offends some people, but they desperately need to know this. The same is true for the false teachers that Jude warns about. Their destiny is determined. They will face judgment. Their doom is certain. And there's, there's the destiny of false teachers and those who follow them in their unbelief. Now, consider the warning sign of the description of these false teachers. Here's a warning sign seen in how these false teachers are described. It's seen in verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. It's incredible, the description here. It sounds like the kinds of things that could show up in our own lives if we're not careful. These are grumblers, malcontents, How'd they get there? Following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain 
advantage. Now, these aren't uh, flattering characteristics, are they? You don't want to be known by these, do you? These are not flattering. But this just shows you how dangerous false teachers are. First of all, false teachers are described as grumblers. They complain. And be careful here, lest you think God is okay with just a little bit of grumbling and complaining. <laughs> or we pass it off as concern. You ever do that? You pass it off as concern. I'm not complaining, I'm just concerned. Well, God might be concerned about your concern if you're not careful. God is not pleased with grumbling, is He? He's not, com- not pleased with complaining. In fact, this is something He takes very seriously. And oh, how easy this overtakes us in our daily living. We com- uh, grumble and complain about things and they become like second nature to us. But we, we ought to take seriously what God calls ser- uh, takes seriously. It's clear in passages like 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, verses 9 and 10, where we're told about the fate of some of the Israelites. Again, there's another passage where the Israelites are used as, as an example, as they were earlier in Jude, God's chosen and beloved people. Some of them displeased God greatly with their grumbling. First uh, Corinthians 10, 9 and 10, we must not put Christ to the test. As some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Interestingly, that's the same destiny of false teachers. But in this description of false teachers in Jude verse 16, we have this sobering reminder, this sobering warning that's implied, that comes with it. Not only can you identify a false teacher with this description, but as believers, we need to take seriously and apply to our own lives God's command not to complain, not to be numbered among those who are false teachers. I mean, that's basically what we do when we complain. Have you ever stopped to think about that? And, and notice right now I'm pointing at you, and I've, as Eric said this morning in Sunday school, I've got three fingers pointing at me. Okay. Do you realize that when we complain, and I, and I mean that, when we complain, we're, we're false teaching. How can I say that? I can say that because when we complain, it's evidence that we aren't trusting God in that moment or with that thing that we're complaining about. Do all things without grumbling or disputing is what we learned in, in our study when we were in Philippians 2 and verse 14. But Jude goes even further. Jude doesn't stop with just their complaining. They are also malcontents. Uh, often those things go together. Malcontent, you know, we're discontent. And we complain. The NIV, uh, the New International Version of the Bible calls them uh, puts a little bit different perspective on it when it calls them fault finders. And that's helpful. We can be fault finders. We can be complainers. We can be those who are discontent or malcontent. Oh my, this is hitting close to home, isn't it? <laughs> we, we don't like it when these kinds of things uh, show up and step on our toes, or at least when somebody points them out to us. 
We so easily become like false teachers when we become malcontented fault finders. But there's another danger when we complain and fault find. It's then that we are especially vulnerable to false teaching. We'll be like the, the quote from Spurgeon when uh, we just want to hear what we want to hear. We want to find someone who will tell us what we want to hear. And that can lead us into following a false teacher. D.L. Moody wrote this, which I think is fitting counsel here. He wrote, you may find hundreds of fault finders among professed Christians, but all their criticism will not lead one solitary soul to Christ. I never preached a sermon yet that I could not pick to pieces and find fault with. I feel that Jesus Christ ought to have a far better representative than I am. But I have lived long enough to discover that there is nothing perfect in this world. If you were to wait till you find a perfect preacher or perfect meetings, and I would add perfect church, <laughs> I am afraid you will have to wait till the millennium arrives. What we want is to be looking up to Christ. Let us be done with fault finding. And he's right. He's right. Let us be done with fault finding. Yes, indeed. Let's not be those people, church. Enough said on that? <laughs> Let's move on. Still looking at verse 16, Jude also describes the false teachers as following after their own evil desires. Look at it. Following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Now, why do false teachers follow their own sinful desires? Why are they loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage? Again, I have to point you back to this. This really all points back to the root of the problem. It's their unbelief. False teachers are not motivated by pleasing God. It's just the opposite. They're motivated by pleasing themselves. Why? Because they see themselves as the answer to all their own problems. They have no faith in God. They have faith only in themselves. And so they boast about themselves and they show favoritism. Why? So that they can get an advantage for themselves. There's warning signs for us all over the place here, aren't there? We're hearing about false teachers, but we're also hearing about how we ought not to live, how we ought to pursue the truth of God's Word so that it changes our desires and our affections. And God does that when we follow Him. When, we can be, when we're like Enoch and walk with God. Jude also warns that false teachers are scoffers. How do they scoff? They deny the word of God. They deny the truth. You can see it in verses 17 and 18. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. But you must remember, beloved the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you remember something? Can we just pause there for a moment? How do you remember something? 
You, you keep reminding yourself, I've got, a, I've got this little uh, app on my phone that's for reminders. And it's set so that if I snooze it, it keeps coming back. Because if it doesn't keep coming back, I will forget. It's the same with God's Word. When I re- want to remember God's Word, I read it again and again and again and again. I hope you see God's Word that way, that you devote yourself to doing that for the rest of your life, repeatedly reading the same things that you've read before. Why? Because you need reminders. But you must remember, verse 17, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember! What were those predictions? They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's another warning. Do not disregard the warnings that were given to you, that are given to you in God's Word. Now, speaking of God's Word, false teachers may include enough truth from the Bible to distract you from their scoffing ways, from their rejection of the truth. They may include enough truth to make you think that they're telling you the truth. And that's another characteristic of these false teachers. That's not the only place we see this. There's a similar warning to this found in 2 Peter verse uh, 3 of chapter 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. There it is again. This really started back in the Garden of Eden. You realize that, right? This really started back in the Garden of Eden when the serpent said to Eve in Genesis 3.1, but did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? A little bit of truth, a lot of bit of untruth. This description in Jude is intended to help us guard against false teachers by helping us learn to recognize them But we better not fail to take the point and apply it to our own lives also on how God's children are not to live. God is gracious to give us His Word and it's filled with instruction about how we're to live and to avoid these kinds of sinful ways and this sinful conduct. It's even sinful thinking that results in sinful speech that false teaches if we're not careful. Now, the third warning sign. Jude warns of the division caused by false teachers. We've seen the destiny and the description. Now the division caused by false teachers. It's seen in verse 19. Look at it again. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. The scoffing at the truth of the Bible seen in verse 18, which is the result of following their own ungodly passions, what does it lead to? What if we all follow our own ungodly passions as God's church? What happens? We will be divided. We will be divided. It's okay if we're different. God intends for that to be. But we all are centered on the the Lord Jesus Christ and on the the word that he has given us. And if we get on the same page theologically, if we get into the same word and we follow the scriptures together, we will not be divided if we're heeding God's word, if we're surrendering to the truth of God's word, if we're being obedient to the commands of God's word. Verse 
But if we're following our ungodly passions like false teachers do, we will be divided as God's people. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 30, Paul warned about the same thing. And from among uh, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Why do people follow their ungodly passions? Why, as seen in Acts 20, 30, do people speak twisted things? False teaching. Why? Verse 19 points to why. Look at verse 19 again. They are worldly people. And yes, they're worldly people, but why? It's the rest of verse 19. They are devoid of the Spirit. That's, that's a good description of a worldly person. You say, what's worldly? Well, we, we're, we're to not be worldly, right? And what is that? When we pursue worldliness, we're pursuing things that are, that are opposed to the Spirit. They are devoid of the Spirit. False teachers do not have the Spirit of the living God. They don't have the living God living in them, opening their eyes to the truth of the Bible, and as a result, with only their wits to guide them, they do not follow the one true God, nor do they lead others to follow the one true God. You might be wondering, what's the antidote to guarding yourself against false teaching? How can we guard the church against false teachers, against unbelief? How can we guard our families? How do you guard yourself? Let me give you two passages of Scripture that will give you hope and give you encouragement and instruction that you can be guarded against false teaching. Two passages of Scripture, they're very likely... uh, familiar to you. Hebrews 4.12 is the first one. Hebrews 4.12. And this is good. If you're ever looking, and you should be, uh, looking for passages of Scripture to memorize, to remind yourself of, and to hide in your heart. This is a, a, an important one. Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active The Word of God is not like another book. It's like no other book. This book, the Word of God, lives. It acts. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Get into the Bible for yourself on a daily basis. If you miss a day, that's okay. It's okay, but get back into the Bible on a daily basis. Commit to being a lifelong reader of God's Word. Why? Because the Word of God is living and active. You may read a lot of things, but if you're not reading the Bible, you're not reading the book that's living and active 
and will search into your soul the things that you desperately need and do surgery with that sharp two-edged sword of the word and, and to touch on the things that need to change or need to be submitted to God or, or where you need to trust Him more or where you need to grow in your, your faith. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It knows you better than you know yourself because it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's incredible. Do not neglect committing yourself to being a lifelong reader of God's Word. We're nearing the end of the year. Maybe you took up the challenge last year to read read through your Bible, and you picked up a Bible reading plan last year, and, and I know that some of you did, and, and uh, some of you are doing well with that, and you've, you've met that challenge of trying to read the Bible every day, and, and uh, I've heard from some of you say, boy, that's, that's hard, I've been doing good, but I've, I've had trouble with you know, this day, or that day, or this week, or that week, that, that's all right, that's normal, but commit yourself to being a reader of the Bible. In fact, if you, if you, uh, want another Bible reading plan, I've put more out on the literature table for next year. And it's not too soon to start and get a head start on next year. If you're not reading your Bible daily, I, I challenge you, pick up a Bible reading plan. Or if you don't like that Bible reading plan, find one you that fits your life better. That's fine. But commit yourself to reading God's Word. That's the first verse in the antidote to guarding yourself against false teaching and false teachers. The second passage I want you to take with you today is Romans 8 and verse 16. Romans 8 and verse 16. How can I know God's Word? How can I understand God's Word? Or, or I hear this sometimes, I'm reading the Bible, but I don't understand all of it, and, and I have a hard time with some of it. And this verse gives me rest. I can rest knowing that God is at work and God is in control. And I, and I think that, that a passage like this and many others like this should give you rest as you read God's Word. Know this, that if you're God's child, you have His Spirit living in you. All right, so listen to Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What's the point? The point that I'm making here is that you don't necessarily have to have it all figured out to keep reading the Bible. Very often, what you will find as you read the Scriptures when you come to things that are hard to understand is that if you keep reading, light dawns. <laughs> Why? Because the Spirit... The Spirit witnesses and testifies of your spirit that you're a child of God and helps you even understand the things of the Lord. God's Word will bring light and truth. God's Spirit will testify to your spirit that you are His and He will keep you. It's okay if you don't totally understand every facet of the Scriptures. Keep reading. Ask a long-time reader of God's Word, and you'll hear the same thing from every one of them, that I have read that passage a hundred times, and this time when I read it, I, I was convicted by it a way I've never been convicted of by, by before. It's incredible how God's Word works in that way. 
God, God's word will bring light as it brings truth. As God's spirit testifies to your spirit that you're his and he's going to keep you. So stay in the word. Uh, have you noticed when you're traveling, as you're traveling down a, a highway or a road or a twisty road, or you see warning signs? And I see those too. Usually when I see the one that looks like a snake in the road, I speed up. Um, most people riding with me don't like that because I like taking the curbs fast. Um, I've learned to slow down because some people get car sick. <laughs> but you see signs when you're traveling. Sometimes you'll see a bump and, and sometimes you, I, every time I see a bump in the road, I'm like, where is it? Because I didn't get it. This road is so bumpy. I, didn't hear, I didn't, couldn't differentiate, differentiate one bump from the other. Or you see signs like a slippery when wet or... Or uh, there's one that we see on the way to church, bridge ices before road, before bridge ices first. And that could be important this time of year. You, you ignore those warning signs too many times and um, uh, you might regret it. Ignoring the warning signs against false teaching can be eternally hazardous. Jude has given us many warnings. And the warning signs we've seen today about false teachers and the dangers they pose are timely. It's incredible how timely God's word is. When you begin to pay attention to what's going on in the world and, and just look at your own life as you read the scriptures, you would think that this was written today. God knows what we need to hear today. You would do well to heed the warning signs. Don't blaze past the warning signs. Be on your guard. Be vigilant against anyone who would lead you astray. Any source of teaching that is suspect. Be careful. And how do you do that? You, you must be in God's Word. You need the Word of God to guide you. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you're God's child, if you've trusted in the Lord, you have His Spirit. And God loves it when you read His Word with a submissive heart. You need to bring that submissive heart attitude to your reading of the Scripture that, God, I want to know what you have for me. I want to live in a way that pleases you. I want to understand your Word. Bring that attitude. God loves to answer and bless that prayer that says to God, please, Lord, teach me. Help me to understand your word. Help me to enjoy your word. Help me to hunger and thirst for your word. God loves to answer that and honor that attitude. Stay close to the word. Keep your life centered on the word and pray for the church. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that we will be guarded against false teaching. That we will not be led astray by the whims of the world around us keep your life centered on the word pray for one another and may we be guarded against false teaching and god will bless our efforts i believe as we pursue the truth of his word and pray for one another and humble ourselves before the lord